to school and they would leave me with my grandmother and I don't know I, in my head now it's probably it feels like she was giving me like seven dumplings <laughs> and two big pieces of yam I'm sure it wasn't that but that's what it felt like I feel like grandparents love to fatten you up yeah and so they give you these mountainous um, plates of food I remember she used to threaten me that Bree's going to blow me away one day and literally in the first grade i had you know those big house and land umbrellas i was walking off because i went to knox and it's on a hill and i walking down the hill and the umbrella start lift up and all i could think was this is why i should have eaten those dumplings and they um... look at my grandmother's words coming back so did you tell her that she was right no what <laughs> she would never stop feeding me Hi everyone, welcome to Like A Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Women Lit. I'm Jereen. I'm Christina. And I'm Ashley. We actually had a whole different episode planned. The whole thing went left and we just casually started talking about motherhood and grandmothers and all these complex relationships that we love to read about. And it's probably just going to start right in the middle of a conversation. I wish I had a grandmother. Yeah, me too. You didn't have a grandma? My father's gra- my father's mother, she sort of I don't know if abandon is a word, but she never she just never seeped away, so we never had a relationship with her. And my maternal grandmother who was much closer to us, she died when I was like three, so I don't have um I don't have any memories of her at all. But hearing stories about her always made me wish that I got the chance to know her because she sounded like, for one, she sounded like a bad girl. And two, she just sounded like a really great person. So that would have been nice. Yeah, I feel the same, Christina. My mom's parents died before I was born. And my dad's dad died when I was young. And my dad's mom, she lives in Canada and I just met her once so I don't really have any connection with my grandparents but uh, whenever I hear people talk about their grandparents I just feel like wow this is a part of life that I really wish that I got to experience because it just feels it just sounds yeah. great it sounds like you can just go talk to your grandma about something it feels so wholesome it. yeah right nice. they tell you about your parents when they were younger and like you just feel like you can mm-hmm. I mean that's a that's a good relationship but you know you feel like you, you can always connect with them and it, it just it's nice. It's nice. But yeah, when I hear stories about my mom's mom in particular, I feel like I really wish that I knew her because she just seemed really just strong and really just like I'm not gonna take anything from anybody. This is how I'm gonna do it and uh, she just, I don't know, she seemed like powerful. You know what you guys should read? Learning to Breathe by, uh, what's the name of her? Janice Lynn Mather. The story set in Bahamas, the character in it, she has this grandmother that just, she really, really loves her grandmother. She, she and her mother don't really get along. I'm trying not to spoil mm. the story. But the grandmother in it is just... <laughs> so kind and I don't know I think it was the first time I read a book where it kind of reminded me a bit about my grandmother um and what I like about the the name of the book again learning to breathe I have the hard cover so I can lend it to you what I really like about it was that the the author had these recipes in there not for cooking but for medicinal things um cleaning a lot of the things that it reminded me of what my grandmother would do if she was cleaning or just mixing stuff to do things and I've never read that in a book especially now Pinterest and YouTube and there's this whole thing about oh let's mix these things to make natural ingredient cleaning products and it's just so funny to me because none of this is new a lot of it is just stuff that well for me my grandparents would do and they're and I had never seen Caribbean or like Caribbean documentation of it in fiction. So I really enjoyed those aspects of the book. I, I think I gave it four stars on Goodreads. I actually just looked it up and saw your Goodreads review. 
just the way she weaved in those little aspects were really cool to me. I really, I found that I really enjoy Caribbean literature on a whole, but um, Caribbean literature that looks at motherhood and I guess grandmotherhood. I have a deep interest in um, exploring that side of motherhood. And I guess it's because I relate a lot of stories to my own life. So people in my life who I'm related to, but also people who are external to it. Like I'm thinking of Here Comes the Sun. When you mention that story, I'm thinking of Here Comes the Sun and thinking of Margot's mother and her journey to Kingston and all that she would have had to gone to all that she went through um, for her daughter, etc. So I don't know. They're kind of like documentation, as you said, documentation of uh, another life of another time that I wasn't a part of. And so I reading these stories kind of puts you there or puts you back in time and seeing the experiences of these women. And I was talking to my mother this week because that's a thing that we do now. We have conversations. She she was recalling some stories from her childhood and from her adolescent. And it was just such an overwhelmingly good experience just having her relate her um her youth to me and that of that of her mother's. And I want us to do more of that, to do more documentation of that. I remember you, Jorain, um, some years ago, you had tweeted about recording your grandmothers. And while I was sitting there with her, I thought of how great it would be to just have her talk to me about her experiences and recording that and talking to some of my aunts and cousins who are much older and just have them relate their life because I feel like that's extremely significant for us. Yeah, that's important. Like it's a part of your heritage, you know, your history. Yeah, like I think that would be, I I recommend doing that. or I Not recommend, I support that project, Christina, because that sounds great well a jerry project i'm not just a thief the <laughs> i have a very um strenuous relationship with my mother i love her dearly but um we argue not a lot but we argue often enough and it's usually based in her expectations of me as i get older and as i become a woman um Typically, my mother has what you'd call, I guess you can call it revolutionary thoughts on how women in relationships should be. But at the same time, she's still affected by gender roles. So as much as she expects me to be independent, she'll also say things like, I need to learn to cook because I'm a big man now. I'm a soon go live with man. Just stuff like that. And because of that, our relationship gets very, very strained. And so watching something like Little Fires Everywhere, you see how the mothers treat their daughters, either by not allowing them to express themselves fully, in the case of Elena and Izzy, or hiding and withholding information from them because you're trying to protect them, like in the relationship with Mia and Pearl. And so it's so tense and you can feel that tension in the show. It's slowly becoming one of my favorite, I don't know if you can call it genres. Is it a genre? Well, Jerrine has created it as a genre anyway. Um, I like, I'm slowly liking the complicated mother's um, narrative in literature and in shows because it's real, <laughs> like, we're not out here all best friends like the Gilmore Girls. It's a real thing and it's hard. It's hard as fuck. Uh, it also makes me think about Patsy. And I true, think that was yeah. one, one hell of a complicated relationship. Yeah. Oh my God. As well as Here Comes the Sun too and Margot and Tandy's mm-hmm. relationship with their mom. Yeah, I think Dolores is one of my favorite characters to hate. <laughs> I completely understand where she's coming from, but it's so toxic and dangerous, so dangerous for you to be raising women that way. But then at the same time, it's her way of protecting them. It's her not wanting them to be disappointed by the world, so you disappoint them from home. Yeah. And that's terrifying. 
So I remember reading Here Comes the Sun and initially, because we hadn't gotten Dolores' story yet, thinking, oh my God, what kind of mother is this? Like, you know, the the knee-jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. And then we read her story and her history and what she would have gone through before she had her girls and things start to fall into place and it makes sense. And as you said, um, motherhood, especially, I think, growing up in a place like the Caribbean, it's filled with so many expectations and it comes with so much baggage um, from people, people either not just disrespecting you, but violating you in so many ways. And the generational violence, you just keep passing it on and you get so lost in it sometimes you forget to try to break it or break the cycle. And again, I see that with my own relationship with my mother too. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make a comment on what you said about getting lost with it, in it and then realizing that mm -hmm. you perpetuate it. But, uh, or well, not realizing that you perpetuate it. Oh, yeah. Perpetuate it. But yeah, Thanks go ahead. Correction. Oh, no, but still, say what you want. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, I just, I think that uh, a lot of people who have gone through violence uh, upbringings and just like experience certain levels of trauma um, I think I want to believe that they have the intention of not repeating that to other people but uh, there's this uh, it's like this muscle memory type of uh, reaction where it's so hard it takes so much effort to break that cycle and to break the the reoccurring like you just feel like you you as me you being one person doesn't have the strength or the courage or the bravery to to not repeat it and so you just continue to do that and i think it takes a lot of internal mm, strength to be able to not do that and that i don't think a lot of people not necessarily have but i don't think i think it, a lot of these these issues are things that we fight kind of like by ourselves and because we don't necessarily have a community where we share, yeah. that we share our experiences with, it's hard for us to think that we can do this because it feels like we're the only one going through it. When if you would just open up and... Uh, not not just open up. I'm not I'm not trying to say that it's easy to open up to people, but just like if you're supposed to share your experiences with other people or read a book, you realize that there is a lot of people or there have been a lot of people who have extremely identical situations to you. You quoted a, a tweet well not quoted a tweet, you quoted um a phrase by James Baldwin this week, Jerry, in that I had come across to like a few years ago and it's one of the reasons why I am still probably alive on this earth <laughs> because it, it said like, you know, you go through all of the atrocities. I'm completely butchering it right now, but it, it, it was basically saying that you go through all of these trauma and these pain and you realize that, or you think that you're the only one going through it, but then you read and you realize that there are a whole bunch of people going through the same thing too. And then you, it kind of, is this uh, um, a settling feeling, a comforting feeling within you for you to know that you're not alone? And I think that's one of the biggest, uh, that's one of the biggest uh, um, I don't I don't really know. Sorry, I kind of trailed off. But I think uh, one of the one of the, the the great things about the internet, one of the great things about Twitter in particular, like you see, like it can be extremely toxic, I know that, but then you see so many different perspectives and you see people sharing in various formats the things that they go through and you're just like, wow, this is completely identical to my reality. And I can, I mean, even though I don't know this person and I don't, I can't talk to them, but like, and then you see the amount of retweets that this, this one tweet has gotten and you're like, oh my God, there's so many people who disconnected to, and you realize that, well, my situation is terrible. I'm not going to downplay that, but uh, I'm not the only person going through it. And if a hundred thousand people can like this and, you know, like are still here, then I can also draw from their strength too and continue like doing this life thing 
So, I mean, it's, it can be really hard when you experience something to not repeat it. So. And um, another thing that um, stands out from a lot of these stories about complicated mothers is that we also live in a society that doesn't care. Like, they don't, one, they don't care about women. They don't care about mothers. Um, they have these expectations of mothers, but it's not a humane expectation. And they also don't care about your complaints as a mother because, one, I they'll tell you, you chose this life, whereas, yeah, it's a decision, but it's also, it's, it's an expectation of you as um, a woman to a reproduce. Woman person. <laughs> yeah. And uh, an adult um, female. It also reminds me of this, of this book, um, the Jacqueline Woodson book. Is her name Woodson? Yes. Um, Red at the Bone. Um, a part of that story is, that story also talks about complicated motherhood and, um, it's the relationship between a mother and her daughter and that daughter's relationship with her daughter that she had when she was about 16 or so and just how she sort of resented and hated her daughter when her daughter was born because her daughter ruined or well she felt like her daughter ruined her life in terms of the life that she had for herself she planned this um very elaborate life of, you know, going off to college, moving out of Brooklyn, if I remember correctly, and going to pursue her dreams and her goals. And here comes this baby along with her father who sort of stopped her from being able to do that. And so she intentionally moved away um, for college and barely came back home, barely called. And on the outset, we'd say, oh my God, she's a terrible mother. Why would you not um, try to be a part of your child's life? Or some would say, why would you move away to college? Why not try to go to a college that's closer so you can stay with your child? And then when you think about um, the mother herself, you think about, um, one, she had a very strained relationship with her mother, who was a conservative lady, um, grew up in in the civil rights era of the United States. And so um, respectability is a very big part of how she sees herself and her family. And so we get all of these little um, complications, these little um, traumas that are passed on. And uh, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And it's so many emotions that um, we're being asked to process. And I think this is completely um, irrelevant and unrelated, but kind of related. But I've been realizing more this year that um, a lot of us hate complicated feelings. We hate complicated emotions. We hate feeling different emotions at the same time and I'm realizing that it's something that we have to learn to feel and process um yeah because um, it's just a part of life I I think I would go to say that I don't think we hate complicated feelings or emotions I think we just hate negative feelings and emotions and those like negative feelings are dubbed or deemed complicated so the fear and the anger and the grief that we feel those are things that are seem like that like because we don't we're not we're only allowed to be happy in our society everywhere you see signs that say no bad vibes and you know like bad energy stay far away and stuff like that and it's like you're it's so one-dimensional and it's lazy because we don't, it's not fair and it's not uh, It's not uh, realistic to always be happy all the time. It's not going to happen to us. I don't know why we try to force out other, other feelings and I don't know why we label them as negative and we label them as complicated and difficult. Because if we're supposed to just talk about how I we mean, feel, sorry, go. Oh, I was saying that I don't disagree with you, but what I mean when I say complicated emotions, I mean 
we don't know how to or we don't attempt to process feeling both angry and empathetic at the same time. So, for example, I'll use Little Fires Everywhere again. Um, in the last episode, did you watch the last episode, Jareen? I don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, so in the last episode, um, Pearl found something out about her mother. She found out that her mother was in possession of a piece of art that was worth a large sum of money and that her mother, instead of using that for them, um, used that to help um, the woman who was trying to get custody of her daughter to pay her lawyer fees. And Pearl was extremely angry at that because she didn't understand why her mother wouldn't use that money to ensure that they had a better life. But her mother, Mia, felt extremely justified in doing that because she's thinking of herself as a mother too and how she'd feel if she were to lose Pearl or not have an opportunity to to be able to get Pearl back if she was lost. And there's a whole history to, to that, but that's irrelevant now. So it's the, and they had this argument, this huge argument where Pearl didn't give two fucks about the nobility of Mia's act. She cared about the fact that you have allowed us to live what I would consider as a subpar life while you had this money for so damn long. And Mia was trying to explain to her why she did what she did and why the life that they live is how it is. And Pearl did not give two fucks. And while watching that scene, I I was inundated by so many emotions so it's understanding for both Mia and Pearl, empathy for Mia. She's gone through a lot. But also I was very angry with Pearl in general because I found Pearl to be generally naive throughout the show. And so that's what I mean by having these complicated feelings all at once. So you're feeling several or a range of emotions all at once. And I think there's a fear because I don't think that people understand that they can feel multiple ways about a thing. That's a huge generalization, but it sometimes feels as if we, we don't want to meet these, all of these emotions all at once. But it does tie into what you've said, Ashley. Generally, especially with the, the, the wellness movement, the mainstream wellness movement, there's an adherence to positivity and immediately shunning anything that's negative when really that's bullshit. You can't escape um, negative, quote-unquote, negative emotions. They're a part of us. They're a part of life. It's a matter of how we respond to them. So yeah, that's what I meant. I think for me, a lot of the times I process these complex, feelings uh, and why I enjoy reading about them is because it's it's real life and being able to see other characters experience maybe not the same thing you have but something that's just as complex or even more complex you get you get the opportunity to be a third party and go wait why don't you do that instead or oh I understand where this other person's coming from so it's a lot easier than when it's your direct life. And I think that's the joy for me of fiction. It's the ability to process all of these very complex emotions and being able to empathize with these characters. And yeah, I, I think finding community is great. I'm thinking again about just learning to breathe and that book, and I'm realizing no one could read that, not enough people have read that book. I'm saying I'm getting it today. That's the same one you were talking about (laughs) earlier? Um, Yeah. So let me give a proper actual summary of what the book is, because I think I only spoke about the grandmother earlier. So in it, you have, it's based in Bahamas, and they live in, it starts off in one of the smaller islands in Bahamas, and there's a 16-year-old girl, Indy. And she lives with her grandmother and mother. And she, they call her doubles for two reasons. Because, I mean, this is the Caribbean. Everybody has a nickname. <laughs> but they call her doubles because she looks just like her mother. Like the spitting image of her mother. Uh-huh. And then as she grows older, she also has double deep breasts. <laughs> kind of just works out. And, you know, so 
that just goes stick. <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't like her mother um, at all. Her mother, as far as she's concerned, her mother is just a whore and her mother just wasted her life and she finds her mother extremely frustrating. But she loves her grandmother and her grandmother reads a lot. So, you know, the grandmother automatically becomes my favorite character. <laughs> so when she turns 16 and she needs, she's going to go to Nassau because we believe that she would be better able to, well, I think there's a school there that she has to go to. I think it's basically sixth form. But she's going to Nassau, which is the big island. And she moves away from her grandmother and her grandmother gives her this book. And the book is about pregnancy and how to deal with that. And she's very confused, but she doesn't get to talk to her grandmother about why she's given her this book. And in her mind, she's like, is my grandmother thinking I'm going to end up just like my mother? Or what the heck is my grandmother expecting me to do in Nassau? I'm going there for school. And it's just all of this internal conflict about what the heck does this book mean? She goes and she lives with her aunt in Nassau and her aunt treats her very badly. Because as far as her aunt is concerned, she's just like her mother. Um, the aunt is not the sibling of the mother. Oh, okay. It's, yeah. But she, as far as she's concerned, she's just going to be like her mother. And the aunt already has another 16-year-old daughter and she doesn't want her to come book her out and whatever. Well. And yeah, and in it, Indy, I'm giving us so much away in this book, but Indy okay. gets raped by her cousin who lives in this house, and it's that that's like the aunt's everything that she didn't want to become. Yeah, okay. the aunt's son, the one that never wanted Indy to come back out her daughter. Um, so she's living in this house with her rapist, and she becomes pregnant and it's just her bearing that everything that she didn't want in her life is happening and no one is going to believe her and she says that it's her cousin who does it who did it and it's a lot of it is just a complete journey with her herself um she has the book that her grandmother gave her and now she feels even worse about it because she's just like wow my grandmother saw this coming like this happened yeah. to me um but it, it's just all these complex feelings that she has because the book is annotated by her grandmother which tells her this is what worked for me when i was pregnant mm -hmm. with your mother um this is what happened. This is what I took. This is what I ate. All of these things. So she feels this connection with her grandmother through this book. But at the same time, she feels very guilty, um, very disgraced. And she ends up finding, a, interestingly, a yoga community on herself. <laughs> um, but the, the woman who runs that yoga retreat was also raped when she was young. And she ends up taking in the inn and then she finds this whole community and she learns how to breathe. It's a very, it's a oh, very sappy title so and all of that, but it, it's so cute. I love it. And in it, with that yoga community, she learns just finding that community, finding that space where she feels safer. She feels much safer there than she does at the home that she's been sent to in Nassau. And then it, there's this whole journey. So even though I've told you a lot of the book, there's still so much mm -hmm. more because she ends up learning more about her mother and learning why her mother is the way she is. And it's not like she learns that she shouldn't be judging her mother yeah. in that way. She learns so much more about her grandmother when she does find her grandmother again. And there's just so much complex, rich stories in there between just mothers and whether it be teenage mothers, um, women who would have experienced violence, how women support each other through pregnancies, through all of this. And it's such a beautiful book. And yeah, but now I feel yeah, like I need I, to go read it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I read it. <laughs> but I love it read. so much. Um, yeah, I don't think they did a very good job in 
I don't know. I don't know if this book got into the right hands mm-hmm. when it came to reviewing it and selling sure. it. I, I, this is why I think Caribbean readers are so important because I'm looking through the reviews mm-hmm. now and there's just so many things that I think may have gone over people's heads yeah. because of the context yeah. it was written in. Mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, even if you aren't from the Caribbean, there is this universal story of empathy and connecting with people not being judgmental because i think everyone in this book minus the grandmother or maybe even her to some extent everyone in the book was quick to judgment i think the only person Mm -hmm. who was relaxed about it was the son of the yoga retreat owner he was the only one who was never really judgy at first and and this boy who did like off indie as well he, but I, I just think he's infatuated with her <laughs> but it, it was such a good book in terms of just learning empathy and learning for Indy as well because you learn to see cause through yoga she learns how to breathe and how to slow down I was as you mentioned um, the importance of Caribbean readers um, reading stories like this because when you were talking I was thinking to myself that this phrase of uh, one man why you corrupt so and so or you could turn out just like your mother how ingrained that is and I imagine that as you said that it's not just a Jamaican thing it's something so um, abundant in the Caribbean and it shows again the sort of messages and messaging that you get um, as a young Caribbean girl all of these warnings um about the type of woman that you're not supposed to be um and how those in addition to being warnings they they also kind of feel like it almost makes it sound like there's a curse to being a type of woman a type of woman that's not respectable in the sense that we've created respectability and fuck it's just so fucking hard <laughs> existing it's so, <laughs> it's so exhausting it's extremely exhausting because you're constantly you constantly have to think about these um different images because even now as somebody who you know claims to be learned <laughs> and unlearning there are so many traps that I still sometimes fall into because you you keep hearing that voice at the back of your head that you grew up with. You keep hearing, again, like in terms of me and my mother's relationship and, and cleaning, right? So I like to clean, but I don't always clean. But um, sometimes you get this feeling that as a woman, you're always supposed to have your your space kept should always be clean and kept and uh, you know she'll tell you so that when people come here yard or when people say they come here yard in a fair run and go clean up and it sounds like a really general a generally good advice to have but for one she only tells me this she doesn't tell my brother this so you kind of realize that it's gendered messaging and you realize it your home is a reflection of you as a woman <laughs> not on anybody else but just you as a woman and so if your home isn't kept and it doesn't look a particular way then that says a lot about how you as a woman are and how you carry yourself and it's exhausting it's extremely exhausting and it does your head in and you almost always feel like you'll never be able to live up to this idea and you won't this idea of what a woman should be and should look like and I think that that influences the complication of mother-daughter relationships to, again, this just this generational messaging that's passed on from one to the next. And it becomes especially difficult when you're trying to break away from it and when you or when you realize that it's bullshit, you attempt to break away from it. But it's literally everywhere and it's... It's loud. Those voices are often the loudest voices around you. Christina spitting facts, man. Facts. Uh, I have a whole thing with mother-daughter relationships. I need to do some writing on it, some reading and some writing on it. Because 
I just think that as I get older, it's becoming so much more apparent. Yeah, and say with me, I there's there's so much, and I don't even know where to start sometimes, and it's parental because I, yeah, it's it's so difficult sometimes, and the only thing I can do to just yeah not feel too burdened by it is to retreat into myself, and then I think yeah to just internalize yeah just to. It's it. I guess it's uh, perceived as hiding, but for me, it's just like I need to carve out a space for myself, and that that tends to be my room because I'm I'm just here chilling because I don't have to deal with anything or anyone else. But then I come outside, and it's like, oh, you always lock up in your room, and this and that. And it's like, can I live? When I'm outside, you have some, you have a lot of things <laughs> to say, a lot of things to say. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I'm there, I can hear you. I can hear you. So, (laughs) but yeah, it's just, uh, I've been reflecting a lot on something that happened on on Friday. Um, I mean, I won't share it because uh, it's just, I'll just say that it just really, it makes me realize that I really do have a lot of issues that I need to discuss but I don't even know who the right people to discuss it with are it just kind of feels like it's just something that I know and I realize and maybe I'll just write about it to myself and that could be enough but it was just so stark on Friday and I just uh, was it just it it felt like it broke me a little bit to be honest it just felt like uh, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I've been talking about for years and years. And how does no one else see it but me? It And it feels maddening because it feels like... Uh, it feels like uh, you're the problem since you're the only person that sees it. But uh, you don't know if people are seeing it and they're just ignoring it. Or it's not a big problem to them. Or, like, I don't know. And then you just... I, you int- I For me, I start to have a whole bunch of thoughts about that's why I'm too sensitive and it just like if I wasn't so sensitive this will happen and there are people who are you know things just bounce off of them and it don't matter and why that matters for me and I get like I get really mad at myself for being this way because it just feels like everyone else seems like they're going about their life for just a not caring so why why does it matter to me why is it so heavy to me and my impact why are you so perturbed yes huh? but why have we weaponized sensitivity like listen being sensitive oh my such God. a horrible thing my mother it, has been doing that it's an insult <laughs> for you to be sensitive Every and time. i'm just wondering what the fuck don't you want people who are sensitive to others around them about how they feel it's such an interesting tearing off events because on one hand, people recognize the need for empathy, but at the other hand, they weaponize, they, they demonize yes. sensitivity. It's so fucking ridiculous. Yes, that's a great point, Jorin. Collectively, we realize that it's very important for our existence as human beings, but the, like, the one-on-one moments that it happens in, like, that sort of relation, the relational sensitivity and emotional capacity that we need to just like um, uh, get through a certain level of conflict that will arise in any sort of human interaction, then that's when the demonizing and the weaponizing comes in. And you're like, how is it that we can collectively agree that this is an, this is an issue? And the moment, like when it happens, the moment it happens, you're, you're going to tell me that it's too much and I need to stop the being this way. I don't get it. And then sensitivity is, gen- it's gendered language, you know? Yeah. We, we, I think we see sensitivity and any of that sort of emotion or response to things as um, inherently feminine. And so any emotion or anything that we've coded as feminine is um, terrible and you need to get rid of that ASAP or you won't survive in the world. And it's, it's, it's the most insane irony 
because yeah. as you rightly mentioned we are now in a place in our society where everybody says that you know empathy is what we need in the world and being more sensitive to circumstances and experiences that are not our own and yet when you go ahead to point out or to um, let it be known where someone's language might be harsh or where someone's language might be homophobic or transphobic or whatever else it's like y'all too sensitive everything on the tech upon it it's not that serious it's oh god i hate they're not it's not that serious i hate that up. i hate it so much it's so dismissive what it really means is that i don't have the capacity to discuss this beyond what you're what i said so i'm out <laughs> yeah like you need Sorry to choose you need to mean, pick a side you can't you can't claim that you want empathy but then you're gonna dismiss the empathy when it comes yeah on the whole mothering and even gender roles and stuff. Olive Senior has this book. It's nonfiction, Working Miracle. Oh, I have it. I bought it at um, Book Club. Same. So in it, she does a lot of interviews with women across the English-speaking Caribbean. And I am a love Olive Senior, you know? Love her to death. Um, she does childhood and socialization and in it she just and I love it so much because I think we often use very American understandings mm-hmm. of gender yeah. and you see it a lot especially in how do I do this nice <laughs> <laughs> mainstream like feminist talk or speech right yes you see it a lot in mainstream feminism where a lot of our understanding yeah. of gender and a lot of the critiques of gender is very americanized it's very when it comes to women in the workplace women in the caribbean have always been working yeah, yeah always. <laughs> with or without me yeah. <laughs> we've been working she so she just goes through um just women and education to the concept of motherhood to family household to working women to just the political life and it's incredible and i just love it because it's just a documentation of this is what Mm -hmm. just women across the caribbean have been saying and this is what the literature says and it's great because she does this whole thing about attitudes towards childbearing, which I thought, I think it's just a, such a complex issue regardless or even across class in the Caribbean. Childbearing is something that is public. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost as yeah. if once you've decided to become pregnant Everybody or not become involved. pregnant, it's a discussion. It's why haven't you had a baby yet? Or why are you having a baby so soon? Or if, if or a lot of it is... so long for have a baby? Why are you waiting so long? How should I have no pity yet? It's just yeah. this whole public discussion. It's not a personal decision. Or it doesn't feel like a it's, personal decision. It's, it's not usually... The language is not usually that nice. It's usually, oh, should I breathe yet? Or... It's like I hate the word yeah. breed. You see, I hate the word, I, hate, I hate it so much. Oh my god, it feels such a it feels like such a violent word in relation it feels to women. Dehumanizing, it really does. And I guess it's because of the context. It's the context that it's used in so often. Because um, I know that. Um, language in general is so is definitely contextual and in different context context it has um its own meanings but in the way that we use it <laughs> um it's ex- it feels extremely dehumanizing um or you know breed it it's like a reminder that um women's bodies are seen as That's your purpose. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> we're 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 machines for production or for well for reproduction and uh, yeah. it takes the personal out of it, as Jerrine said. It's no longer yeah. me making a decision. Like, I recently told my mother that um, I'm going to be honest with you, mom, but I don't see children in my future. And she gave me the weirdest look. Like, <laughs> it's almost as if Matelar bought our mother. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> no, no, that's the, that's the, that's the sort of look that was on her face it's like she said it honestly does not feel like a personal decision for your whole family for your whole community even your workplace mm-hmm. to some extent yeah. 
But what I thought was very interesting about her section on childbearing was the expectation of, regardless of how the pregnancy happened, you are expected to be positive about it once it has happened. It's a gift from God. Yes. So you can't be a mother and not want to be a mother. But at the same time, I found it interesting because unless I missed it in the book, there was no talk of abortion Mm. in it, which is why I really appreciated Patsy because I don't think before that I've really seen fiction or non-fiction. I've seen a lot of Caribbean documentation Mm -hmm. about women that don't want to be mothers even if they have become a mother what does that mean for someone who didn't want it who someone who considered having an abortion at some point and how do you work through those again very complex complicated feelings Mm -hmm. because i don't think anyone wants to hear that well you know i considered having an abortion because even if it's true it's not something that we and i think I think I have a problem with that because I do think we need to get to a space where we can be honest about it. Yeah. But it's going to take, we are centuries behind where we need to be to have these conversations because we've just never had them. So we don't know what is the responsible way of having mm-hmm. these conversations. What are the ways that we can do these, do these very complex topics and still be kind and empathetic and compassionate and talk about these mothers who never really see it <laughs> for motherhood because it's just so weird because even when she's going through the interviews and there are women who didn't want to get pregnant whether they got pregnant through violence or it was just an accident mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's you are expected to be positive about it it's, it's happened and you need to. You should be grateful because joy. there are other women who can't have children, and here you are. Yeah. Which is another thing I don't think we talk about. I don't think we talk about women who try so hard to get pregnant and, and don't. Their stories just aren't told. Which is also why I love Little Fires Everywhere because I even found myself empathizing with that. I did woman. too, yeah. Even though she was frustrating. I really did. I really felt it for her. She's actually more frustrating in the book, if I remember correctly. She was less racist, but more frustrating mm-hmm. in the book. But I felt it for her I because did. years and you finally get a chance to adopt a child and <laughs> you have this whole court case now because a woman abandoned this child that you've been taking care of. It's just all these complex stories that I'm glad, whether through fiction or non-fiction, get documented because... These are some really fucking complicated shit that we need to talk about. And then about. we don't, we don't, we also don't like, well, in the Jamaican context, um, we don't like women who can't have children. We, we might not use the word like, but in the way that we treat them, the way that we describe them, the way that we talk about them, it's a huge dislike. Um, because we know your womanhood is tied to your um, ability to have children. And so when you don't, you're a mule. And how dare you? How dare you not be able to reproduce? How dare your body betray um, this vital part of your womanness and your womanhood? And we kind of discard them um, until they're able to prove that they're, um, that they're women by reproducing it's it's an exhausting existence for me it just keeps going back to it not being a personal decision it's something i've always known um i i just i don't see myself having children but i see myself regretting not having children because of how society will treat me as i get older that that's it it's it's and that's that's like a very shitty reason to have kids (laughs) <laughs> like I'm gonna have a kid so that society doesn't treat me like shit for being like 50 and childless and it, it's something that I've been guilty of just assuming that older women are automatically mothers so you tell them happy mother's day when you mm-hmm. see them 
<laughs> the book that we're going to read, I think, in July, the one that I recommended, um, Star Side of Bird Hill by Naomi Jackson, that has a complicated mother. Oh, okay. That has a complicated mother-daughter relationship. That's extremely interesting. Um, I won't give away too much because I know you guys don't like spoilers, but uh, I know that uh, um, if I remember correctly, because I read this about three or four years ago, um, maybe three, uh, there's two daughters. There's Well, they're sisters and they were, they were sent to Barbados for the summer to stay with their grandmother. Um, but uh, their mom just never brought sent them back. And I, I don't remember the, the, the details of it, but I know that uh, the older daughter had a really strange relationship with the mother. And uh, what I noticed too, especially when grandparents are in the picture, that the strange relationship with the, the parent is usually picked up, the slack is usually picked up by the grandparent, in this case, the grandmother who tries to give them a, you know, like a loving home and a space to speak and be themselves. And I mean, while the lessons that they might learn from their grandparent are a little dated, there's still the relationship is nurtured and there is a level of comfort that uh, is appreciated. And um, I, I notice that a lot in in complicated mother-daughter relationships. Actually, Jerry, when you were talking about learning to read, you spoke about that and it came to mind as well. But that's the only one that jumps out at me. I had said, here comes the sun before, but there was no grandmother in that, so... Those reading those type of stories are always how would I describe it? It's eye opening for me. It's always nice to see interaction with grandparents in whatever capacity, whether fiction in real life, because I can like I feel like I kinda go off into dream world and try to strum up a fantasy about what my interactions would be like based on the story that I've heard about my grandparents my grandmother in particular okay everyone thanks so much for listening to this episode of our podcast subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already follow us on social media at rebel women lit on twitter and on instagram I was going to drag you for a second, but then I remembered how you dragged me in the last episode for dragging you, so I won't. Thank you for not dragging me. You're welcome. Quarantine is teaching me patience. <laughs> Sorry that I'm the nice one. Um. <laughs> on that note, bye guys. <laughs> right. And bye. bye, friends. Bye, everyone. Bye.